Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is October 5th, 2018, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is, I can see clearly now the caller's gone. Thanks to the triage nurse. And our guest skeptic is Allison Armstrong. She is a certified emergency nurse, trauma program coordinator, TNCC course director, and Canadian C-spine rule nurse champion. Welcome to the SGM, Allison. Thank you so much for having me on the show today, Ken. Well, it's uh, fun to have you up at the uh, Bat Cave. Yes, it's fantastic here. <laughs> well, um, I've been trying to get you on the show for some time because I am a huge Allison fan because of the Talk Trauma Conference that you run every year. Oh, our Talk Trauma Conference participants are huge fans of you, Ken. Your presentations have been memorable, to say the least. But honestly, organizing Talk Trauma is a team sport, and I have an amazing, dedicated team of trauma professionals at London Health Sciences Centre and the Children's Hospital of Western Ontario that organizes this conference with me. I really can't take all the credit. It does take a team, especially if you want to provide really great care. The team has to function well together. Okay. But can you tell the SGMers a little bit about this whole talk trauma thing that you put on every year? Absolutely. Talk Trauma offers two conference days to nurses, allied health, and EMS professionals involved in providing care for the adult and pediatric trauma patient. Our philosophy for Talk Trauma is to have fun while learning, so we put on a conference that's packed with useful tips for all trauma care providers, but in a really fun way. And uh, because we have an amazing sponsors, we are able to deliver the conference at a significantly reduced rate compared to most other conferences out there. I should mention Talk Trauma is held in London, Ontario, but we have participants that attend from all over Ontario and even the U.S. Well, you said fun, and I remember coming in full Doc Vader costume, like Z-Dog MD, and marched through the crowd with my, uh, can I say, favorite nurse, Brenda Palsa. <laughs> uh, and we were wielding lightsabers to music, to that Star Wars theme music. I don't think anybody's going to forget that moment. You guys were terrific sports. The participants just loved it. Well, next year, we are planning to do a live episode of the SGM that we will stream from the conference. And for those who want to see it in person, can you give details like when is it and how do they register? Absolutely. Next year's Talk Trauma is already planned and packed with amazing speakers. Adult Talk Trauma is Wednesday, April 17th, and Pediatric Talk Trauma is Thursday, April 18th. I'll give you the email, Ken, for your show notes. Perfect. Make sure you save that date and put Talk Trauma on your calendar. But we've got a case to go through. In fact, we have two cases for today. Why two? Well, I wanted to capture the two mechanisms by which a patient would present to the triage nurse. Okay, well then give us case number one. Okay, this is a 51-year-old male patient present, who's presenting to triage in a collar on a backboard with EMS following a rear-end motor vehicle collision, or MVC, at a stoplight. He was a belted driver with no past medical history and a GCS-15. 
The driver of the car that hit him was texting and did not appear to slow down before striking the rear of the patient's car at about 50 kilometers per hour. The patient's complaining of left shoulder and neck pain. Ooh, texting and driving. Bad. All right, what about case number two? All right, this is a 45-year-old female presenting to triage at 2030, walking, stating that she fell from a chair this morning. She went to work all day as she thought she was unhurt initially, but uh, pain has started to set in, so she stopped by the emergency department on the way home, complaining of right wrist pain and neck pain, as well as stiffness all over. She's really worried she might have a serious neck injury. Well, I'm glad you gave us two different cases because we know that patients come in via EMS, but they also present ambulating to the department. And I've seen people walk in with a fractured neck. Mm -hmm. Well, clearing the C-spines is a regular activity for the emergency department. This can be done clinically using the Canadian C-spine rules, or tools as I like to say, or with imaging. The vast majority of the patients, and what I mean by vast is more than 99%, do not have a fracture of the cervical spine diagnosed. Blunt trauma patients transported via EMS often arrive on a backboard, C-collar, and head restraints. They remain this way, often complaining to us, the nurses, until they can be assessed by a physician and have their C-spines cleared. Well, there are protocols to get blunt trauma patients off spine boards urgently. However, they still can remain in C-spine precautions for a long time waiting to be assessed. This adds to patient discomfort, occupies valuable acute ED space, and can contribute to crowding. The Canadian C-spine rule is a clinical decision instrument developed to allow clinicians to clear the C-spine without imaging. This instrument has been validated to be safe and decrease the use of diagnostic imaging. Well, if we're going to be talking about this CCR, and it's surprising I didn't pick a CCR song for this. Okay, well, if we're going to be talking about the Canadian C-spine rule or the CCR, we better go through it a little further. It applies to ALERT, or GCS 15 patients, and stable trauma patients where cervical spine injury is a concern. So let's run through it. So they break it down into high-risk factors. What are the high-risk factors? The high-risk factors are anybody over 65 years of age, uh, they've had a dangerous mechanism, or they have paresthesias in their extremities. So if they have that high-risk factor, and I believe it's 65 or older, so 65 gets you into that protocol, um, if they have any one of those high-risk factors, then you should be considering getting imaging. What are the low-risk factors? Because if they don't have any high-risk factors, it goes to low-risk factors. The low-risk factors are simple rear-end MVC, delayed onset of neck pain, sitting position in the ED, ambulatory at any time, or absence of midline C-spine tenderness. So if they don't meet any of those low-risk factors, they have to go on and get radiography. But if one of those things, one of those things is positive, then they're allowed to move on to the next step. What's the next step, Allison? The next step is rotating their neck 45 degrees to the left and to the right. And certainly we don't do that. We ask the patient to see if they can turn their head 45 degrees to the left and 45 degrees to the right. And if uh, they can, you do your happy dance, right? Because the collar's off and you're not getting imaging. But if they can't rotate 45 degrees on their own either way, then you're sending them off for imaging, right? Collar stays on and they get some imaging. 
And there's a mnemonic, and Teresa Chan sent me this. And Teresa Chan, thank you very much. I hadn't heard of this mnemonic before, but it's a little rhyming thing. And so for the high-risk rhyme, it's 65, fast drive, sense deprive, image if alive. Okay? And then for low-risk rhyme, it's slow wreck, slow neck, sitting down, found round, C-spine fine, range of the C-spine. And if you can look both ways, you can cross the road without imaging. That's amazing. I'll put those in the uh, show notes for everybody as well. Now, I guess we should say that uh, we did mention dangerous mechanism, and there's actually a definition for dangerous mechanism. So how do they define dangerous mechanism in this algorithm or protocol? Well, if you've fallen from an elevation... So that's uh, greater than or equal to three feet or down five steps? That's right. If you've had an axial load to the head... Like as in diving... If you have had an MVC at high speeds. And they define high speeds as greater than 100 kilometers per hour. But we do have a global audience. And you know those the, the Americans, they don't do metrics. So that's 60 miles an hour. MVC, that's a rollover or a patient is ejected. Another one is a, a motorized recreational vehicle. And uh, lastly, a bicycle collision would be a dangerous mechanism. Well, there you go. There's the CCR. There's the Canadian C-spine rule. And we'll put the actual flow sheet, the protocol, into the blog post. But let's get on with the clinical question. Can emergency department triage nurses apply the Canadian C-spine rule to adult blunt trauma patients and safely clear the C-spine? And what's the reference, Allison? The reference is Steele et al., a multi-center program to implement the Canadian C-spine rule by emergency department triage nurses in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, May 2018. All right, let's run through the PICO. What was their population? Alert adults presenting to the ED ambulatory or by EMS with acute blunt trauma occurring within the previous 48 hours with posterior neck pain and were in stable condition. Alert and stable was defined as a Glasgow Coma Scale score of 15 with normal vitals. And then they excluded anyone aged less than 16 years, penetrating trauma, acute paralysis, or known vertebral disease. All right, let's go through the interventions. They had phase one and phase two. Phase one was certification. So all the emergency department nurses who performed triage activities had didactic training and then had to demonstrate competence by accurately assessing 10 patients before being certified. And then they moved on to a implementation phase or phase two. Yeah. All triage nurses who had become certified were empowered by a medical directive to clear the cervical spine of patients, allowing them to remove cervical spine immobilization of CCR negative patients and triage them to a less acute area. And what did they compare it to? Uh, nothing. Yeah, no, this was an observational study. So then let's go through their outcome. So for primary outcome, they had clinical and safety outcomes. So what was the primary clinical outcome? Proportion of eligible trauma patients who had their cervical spine cleared by nurses. And how about their primary safety outcome? Number of missed clinically important cervical spine injuries. And then for the secondary outcome, they also had clinical safety and other outcomes. So what was the secondary clinical outcome? The length of time in the emergency department. And for safety? Number of serious adverse outcomes. Yeah, and they were looking for neurologic deficits after clearance by the ED nurse. And what were the other outcomes they listed under secondary? Nurse accuracy and overall interpretation of the rule and nurse comfort with the rule. 
Okay, so for the author's conclusions, quote, we clearly demonstrated that ED triage nurses can successfully implement the Canadian C-spine rule, leading to more rapid and comfortable management of patients without any threat to patient safety. Widespread adoption of this approach should improve care and comfort for trauma patients and could decrease length of stay in our very crowded EDs, end of quote. All right, Allison, let's go through the quality checklist for observational studies. Great. The first question? Yeah. Did the study address a clearly focused issue? Yes, it did. Did the authors use an appropriate method to answer their question? Yes. Was the cohort recruited in an acceptable way? Yes, consecutive patients presenting to the emergency department were recruited. Was the exposure accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes, it was. Was the outcome accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes, it was. The authors, have they identified all important confounding factors? Yes. Was the follow-up of subjects complete enough? Uh, I'm unsure. How precise are the results? Unsure. Do you believe the results? Yes. Nurses are smart, talented, and capable. Yeah, I saw how he slid that in there. Of course they are. All right. Can the results be applied to the local population? Unsure. Do the results of this study fit with other available evidence? Yes. Pitt et al. found that UK nurses were able to clear the C-spine of 59 out of 112 cases in what we, we believe is to be the first report of clearance by nurses. However, the authors could find no reports of nurses actually clearing the cervical spines in North America. Much of the previous research had focused on limiting the use of immobilization and, and imaging by physicians rather than nurses. All right, let's go through the key results. There were two phases, as I mentioned, to this study, and the authors focused in on phase two, the implementation part of the study. And they had just over 1,400 patients, and the mean age was around 43 years, 52% were female, and 64%, so almost two-thirds, arrived via EMS. And they identified just over 1% were found to have C-spine injuries. Of the 898 patients that arrived via EMS, 806, or 90%, were immobilized. There were another 510 who walked into the ED with neck pain and triaged to either have immobilization applied, 36%, or not applied. 63%. All right, Allison, what was the key result? Triage nurses removed 41% of immobilized patients' collars and missed zero C-spine injuries. Oh, that's a nice round number, isn't it? Zero misses. Okay, so for the primary outcomes that we mentioned before, clinically, what was the outcome? The proportion of eligible trauma patients who had their cervical spines cleared by nurses was 41.1%. And remember, it was zero, zero before. Nurses did not clear the C-spine. All right, and the safety outcome? Number of missed clinically important C-spine injuries was zero. Well, are we, are, we, are we focusing in on zero enough? Have we done enough spaced repetition there? Okay, <laughs> secondary outcomes, clinically. Length of time in ED was reduced by 26%, 3.4 versus 4.6 hours. Yeah, so people, if they didn't have a collar on, or if the collar was removed, were out of the emergency department about an hour quicker. How about safety? Number of serious adverse outcomes or neurologic deficits after clearance by the emergency department nurse was again 
zero. And because this is an audio program and people can't see what you're doing, Allison, she is making a zero out of her hands. Yes, zero, the big goose egg. All right. And those other outcomes that were uh, listed under secondary. Nurse comfort and compliance with the rule or tool was very high. Only 1.3% of nurses indicated that they were uncomfortable or very uncomfortable following the rule. See that, Ian Steele? I've already got her saying tool instead of rule most of the time. All right, let's talk nerdy, Allison. You ready? I sure am, Ken, but before I do, I would just like to point out one thing. Medical research rarely focuses on recognizing that the nursing staff have great capacity for critical thinking and application of many tools used by physicians. This was just refreshing. I'm always saying it does take a team and people deserve great care from the time they dial 911 in North America, but the time they reach out for emergency services all through their care and until the point where they're discharged and even follow up. And nurses are key to that. So it's great to see this kind of research being published. Well done to the Ottawa group. Mm -hmm. But let's go through some of those nerdy points. And the first one, and this is the most obvious one, of course, it's not a randomized trial. Therefore, there was no comparison group. We don't know definitively if this would have decreased the length of stay compared to the existing system. The length of stay in the emergency department was shorter for those who had the call removed compared to those who did not, which makes sense. Those without the collar being removed would have further evaluation and potential imaging. How would this new protocol compare to physicians evaluating the patients? I suspect it would be faster with shorter length of stays having triage nurses apply the CCR, but this study does not provide data to answer this question. Talking about compliance, one hospital withdrew after phase one due to a compliance issue. This suggests that there may be difficulties implementing this in other sites. It would have been nice to have more information on why this happened. Was it compliance issues with physicians, nurses, administration, or a combination? Well, maybe somebody from the Ottawa group can uh, tweet back to us or put a comment in the blog section to let us know why that one hospital did withdraw due to compliance issues. But that also um, leads up to the nerdy point number three, and that's about external validity. They mentioned small and rural hospitals. And you know, I love working in small hospitals. I'm a champion. You might be a champion for trauma care. I am a champion for small rural hospitals. And there may not be enough volume for triage nurses to feel comfortable using the CCR infrequently in a smaller hospital. That's potential. And the other issue is places like the U.S., where there is this zero-miss culture. How would it be accepted in those environments, in a much different medical legal environment, to have the nurse applying this tool to remove the C-spine collar? I don't know. The fourth point is precision. It's hard to comment on the precision of the results, with the event rate being so low. There were only 7 out of 806 immobilized patients who arrived by ambulance who had clinically important C-spine injuries. That's 0.7%. While no injuries were missed in the study, it would only take one or two misses to call into question the validity of the results. And the fifth point we wanted to talk about was follow-up. Was the follow-up long enough and comprehensive enough? They monitored visit logs for 30 days, but some patients could have arrived with an injury past that one-month time period. It's also possible that patients went to another hospital rather than going back to the hospital that they originally presented at. But those are the five nerdy points that we wanted to bring up. 
Now it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. We generally agree with the author's conclusions. Well, can you give us a bottom line then, Allison? Properly educated emergency department triage nurses can apply the Canadian C-spine rule to adult blunt trauma patients and safely clear the C-spines. Well, now you're going to have to resolve those two cases you gave us. So case number one, resolve it. So the triage nurse can apply the CCR to this patient because he was involved in a simple rear-end MVC, which is one of the low-risk criteria. The triage nurse removed the front of the collar and palpated his C-spines. The patient reported pain all over his neck. The triage nurse then asked the patient to look 45 degrees to the right and then 45 degrees to the left. He was able to do the motion, so the triage nurse removed his collar and asked the patient to be offloaded to a regular stretcher. And for case number two? So the female patient who fell from the chair also qualifies for the CCR to be used as it was not a dangerous mechanism and she had delayed onset of neck pain. The triage nurse palpated her C-spines and the patient complained of right lateral neck pain. The triage nurse then asked if she could rotate her head 45 degrees to the right and then 45 degrees to the left. The patient was able to do the motion, so the triage nurse knew that the patient did not need a C-spine collar and did not need to be immobilized at triage. So how are you going to take this study and apply it clinically? Well, the triage nurses at Victoria Hospital at London Health Sciences Centre were the nerdiest of all nine sites in this study, with over 90% of them volunteering to be a part of this implementation. Since the study completion, triage nurses at Victoria Hospital are still using the Canadian C-spine rule to clear C-spines. And you know what else? This Canadian C-spine rule is now being used in the pre-hospital environment all over Ontario now. So I I suspect that uh, Ian Steele and his group will be publishing another study in the near future about paramedics using the CCR. Um, Maybe you'll come back on the show and we'll get Jay Loosely here to uh, do the uh, review with us. That'd be great. All right. So what are you going to tell the patient? Patient number one, case number one. And what are you going to tell them at the stretcher? I'm going to say, you know, I know that the collar and the backboard can be very uncomfortable. And the paramedics correctly put one on because of the pain you were having in your neck. We have a way to safely remove the collar with a few little tests without missing any serious neck injuries. You don't need to be in this collar anymore now, so we can move you over to a regular stretcher or chair if you like. All right, and patient number two, what are you going to tell her? I would say to her, look, I know you're worried about your neck being injured, but we have a tool that we use that can safely assure us and you that you don't have a serious neck injury and won't need a C-spine collar at this time. You can wait in the waiting room safely until a doctor is able to see you. All right, it's time for the Keener contest and there was no winner last week. The question was, what year was interosseous access first described in the literature? And the answer was... 1922. What's the question this week? Where did the term triage originate? Well, if you know the answer, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool, skeptical prize. Allison, thanks for coming up to the Bat Cave in person and doing an episode of the sgem. It was truly my pleasure and an honor to come on the show. Well, can you remind us again how people can sign up for Talk Trauma? 
You can email us anytime at the trauma program and we'll put that email in the show notes. Registration will be opening at the end of February. All right, there's one last thing to do, Allison. I want you to read the SGM tagline, but I'm wondering if you can do it in your best triage nurse voice. Sure can. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you've heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. That sounded a bit like a mom voice too. Okay, all (laughs) I can say is yes, mom. (laughs) 